So uh, Barb and I have been on vacation for a little while, and uh, about the fastest weeks of the year, right? They just go like a rocket ship, but uh, I have to tell you, um, believe it or not, I, I miss being here on Sundays especially and, and uh, seeing everybody, but I have to tell you, uh, one of my favorite things about vacation is being able to go to church as a visitor. Uh, no matter what happens, it's not my problem. Nobody comes and says it was too hot or too cold or the music was too loud or too soft or too fast or too slow or, you know, why aren't the weeds pulled out of the garden or whatever, right? And uh, it's, just, uh, it's just fun. And, and, you know, I'm in people's cases when they uh, go for years without joining a church, but I understand it, right? Because you can just visit and you have absolutely no responsibility. You just worship, you just take, you never give, and you just, it's a glorious, selfish Way to go. <laughs> and I love it on vacation. Uh, but um, one of the other things that uh, vacation affords us is the opportunity, uh, or I take the opportunity, to try to get caught up on some of the news. And so we were watching the conventions, right, and uh, uh, the Republicans and the Democrats and just thinking about our country and kind of where we're at and, and realizing that the ideologies that separate the conservatives from the liberals, you know, are pretty intense and have led to some pretty nasty uh, exchanges and were a long ways yet from November. And um, I think, in my opinion anyway, I feel like both sides uh, misunderstand uh, the reason that our country was great in the first place, and it's our Christian history. It's our, uh, our God who has blessed us that's made us a great nation. <clears throat> and I think that uh, without that understanding, uh, um, without realizing that in the beginning our respect for God and our belief in God and our, you know, in God we trust kind of stance uh, and the rich blessings of God, uh, without that, without our biblical faith informing our worldview, we get pretty lost pretty quick. And it seems to me that what's happened along the way, and, and I feel like the church, collectively, the church in America is kind of responsible, uh, is that we've taken our collective focus as a nation off of God and put it on to his blessings. So that now we think that money and political power can do what really only God can do. And which we should know by reading our history and being alert to what's happened in the past. Uh, just to be aware of how it is that we came to be who we are and so on. And so in our uh, pursuit of a God-first life, which uh, uh, is our focus this year uh, of generosity, we're revisiting the story of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, which is on page um, 869. The Bible's there in the seats if you want to follow along. And um, this story, which many people know, right, the Good Samaritan, And uh, in this story, there's a man with a need, a man who's pretty needy, a man who's got some significant uh, problems. He's been beat up, he's been robbed, and he's been left half uh, dead. And I want to suggest to you that that guy represents an awful lot of people around us. He represents people with problems. He represents people with needs. And uh, all around us, uh, there are uh, people with problems and needs, including ourselves, Uh, There are poor people and sick people and handicapped people and refugee people and abused people and people who are hurting and who are in need from all kinds of situations. And you remember that Jesus tells this story in response to a lawyer's question 
about how to inherit eternal life. Verse 25, a lawyer stood up, put Jesus to the test, said, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? How does a person come to experience and uh, be entrusted with uh, eternal life? And uh, part of the answer that Jesus gives is that, you know, everything God has said to us comes down to these uh, two great commandments, right? To love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and uh, then to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And so loving other people, right, is not optional for Christians. It's not like an add-on. It's not like oh, wow, God loves me and he saved me and Jesus died for me and I'm going to heaven someday and, and that's that. And oh, by the way, if along the way you feel like you want to you know, help somebody else out, that's an option. No. Uh, loving our neighbors is part of the DNA of being a Christian. It's not optional. Uh, it's, it's who we are when we become uh, believers. And so um, Jesus said, you know, everything comes down to that. And if you grew up like in Sunday school like I did, uh, you know, uh, there's that little acronym, joy, Jesus first, others second, and yourself last. And if you really want to have joy in life, uh, that actually works, right? It's, if you live that way, you'll discover uh, that there is joy to be had when Jesus is first, others are second, and, and yourself uh, last. And so all around us are people with problems and needs. There's physical problems, social problems, psychological problems, financial problems, spiritual problems, mental problems, family problems. All around us are people who are struggling in a world where Jesus said, you will have tribulation in this world. It should not come as a surprise that all of us, you know, have issues and problems. And so Jesus had already taught by this time, if you just go back in your Bible to Luke chapter 6, uh, Jesus had already taught uh, what we call the golden rule in verse 31. He said, um, as you wish others would do to you, you do so to them. We call it the golden rule. You know, as you want other people to treat you, you treat them. The golden rule. And so uh, when you think about this, uh, verse uh, 35 and 36 goes a little further. Uh, you know what? Love your enemies. Love your enemies. And this gets to be a stretch, right? And do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High God, for he is kind uh, to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Think about how your Father in heaven approached you, and you approach other people in that fashion to become neighbors. I, I, I should tell you that our whole staff as a church was at the Global Leadership Summit for two days this week. And uh, many people, I don't know if you're aware, but uh, Willow Creek Church out in Illinois has sponsored for the last 20-odd years uh, a leadership summit for church leaders to kind of inspire and to train us how to be better at the job that God has called us to. And so uh, I've gone to several of these and uh, was at this one. And, you know, a lot of people always say, you know, this is like taking a drink from a fire hose because it's just... You know, there's so much good stuff that comes at you that you can't really process it all. But all of us come away with something, right? And, and, and we have a takeaway. And one of the takeaways for me uh, this week was uh, when John Maxwell said, uh, John Maxwell's kind of a leadership guru and, and uh, sort of followed him. He's written, I don't know, 20, 25 books probably on leadership. And uh, he said, listen, everything, absolutely everything that's worthwhile 
is uphill, is upstream. Everything that's worthwhile, any kind of success, any kind of great marriage, uh, any kind of financial stability, anything that's worthwhile, anything that's good, anything that's righteous is upstream. And I think it stuck with me because uh, on vacation, Barb and I found this place uh, that uh, had a lazy river. You know what a lazy river is? I mean, there's a current in this river, and you get yourself on a noodle, and you just float. And you go downstream. Nobody drifts upstream. And America's adrift. And so when we drift, we go downstream. Because everything that's worthwhile is upstream, Right? And I don't know how many times Barb and I were going around this thing, you know, we're just going in circles, and it's really cool. I mean, you just sit there, and you meet these people. It's like, hey, where are you from? And you start talking, and you find out what they do, and this and that, and the next thing you know, you're friends and and whatnot, and and Barb and I, and then sometimes it's just us, and we're like holding hands so we don't get separated from each other. And uh, she would say to me, you know what? We should get off these noodles and go upstream, because that would be good for us. But we never did that. We're on vacation, right? And so nobody ever drifts upstream. And so uh, what Maxwell said was, you know what? People have upstream hopes and downstream habits. And that's why we don't achieve, you know, all that uh, God has for us. We have upstream hopes, but we have downstream habits. And so what happens is, We end up accepting our lives instead of leading our lives. As Christians, we have the privilege of leading our lives, right? Become a God-first person. Um, That doesn't happen by drifting downstream. A God-first person, if that's a worthwhile desire that's in our hearts, well, it's going to be an upstream issue. Everything worthwhile Uh, is upstream. And so this idea of loving your neighbor and treating other people as you wish other people would treat you and loving your enemies and lending with not expecting anything back and your reward will be great because that's the way God approaches you. And uh, worse than that, if you go... Now remember, this was a question about eternal life, right? How do I inherit eternal life? If you go to Matthew chapter 25, Jesus said at the end of your life, the final judgment is going to be based on how good of a neighbor you and I were. Do you remember this passage of scripture in Matthew uh, chapter 5, verse you know, 34? I'm sure you're familiar with this, um, where Jesus says the king is going to say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food, and I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink, and I was a stranger, and you welcomed me in, and I was naked, and you clothed me, and I was sick, and you visited me, and I was in prison, and, and you came to me, and the righteous are going to answer, say, Lord, when did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, and give you a drink, and when did we see you a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it for one of these least neighbors of mine, you did it for me. Love your neighbor. It's not an option. It's part of who we are when we become God's people. The church is designed to be this alternative kingdom, this different society 
where people act different and people treat each other different and it, and it becomes this lure into this eternal kingdom that God has prepared uh, for those who really uh, do, in fact, love him. And so in Luke chapter 10, in the story uh, that's before us of the Good Samaritan, uh, the hero of the story, the Samaritan, moves to meet the needs of the guy who got beat up and ripped off and uh, who was left half dead. Uh, the physical needs, the economic needs, the friendship needs, um, all of these, the social needs uh, of this guy. So in Luke chapter 10, verse 33, uh, here's what happened. And I haven't listened to the tapes of Pastor Dan, so I don't know exactly what he said so far, but this is my take on it, all right? Um, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where the man with the need was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. Every, we just sang it. Everyone needs compassion. Do you know anybody that doesn't need compassion from time to time? Everyone needs compassion, Okay. So the Samaritan comes to where the guy was, and he sees him, and he has compassion. So he goes to him, and he binds up his wounds. He pours on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you uh, when I come back. And so this acting neighborly, uh, I want to suggest to you this morning, is an unconditional act of love it's unconditional you notice uh, in Jesus telling this story uh, that the Samaritan did what needed to be done regardless of who the person was All right. in fact in spite of who the person was because you know the Samaritans and the Jews they really didn't like each other too much and, and so in spite of this being an enemy if you will um, the Samaritan goes and meets the needs and uh, Jesus, you know, gives the impression, I think, in this story that these two people are strangers, not like they knew each other. Maybe he was a really bad guy. Maybe he was a terrorist. Who knows? Maybe he got beat up because he beat up somebody else. Nobody knows. But it doesn't make much difference who he is. Uh, there's this unconditional response that compassion has. And uh, the Samaritan, you know, he doesn't ask any questions. He's not like, <clears throat> do you have insurance? I don't ask any questions. Will you fill out this intake inventory for me? Will you sign this affidavit saying you won't sue me in case I, you know, mess you up further by trying to help you, you know? And all of that kind of stuff. He just does what needs to be done. It's unconditional. And I want to suggest to you that our generosity ought to be unconditional as well. But as neighborly relationships progress as we do more than just meet the immediate need of a person that has a problem, uh, conditions come into play. And uh, I think we'll see this. When we, when we really love our neighbor, well, we then get involved in each other's lives. And as the relationship progresses, there needs to be openness to change. There needs to be then conditions in order for the grace and the generosity to go further, to continue. Uh, there needs to be this openness to change, a willingness to meet conditions. So generosity, I want to suggest to you today, starts out unconditionally, right? But in order for generosity to progress, conditions come into play. Now just think about how God loves us. Uh, God's love starts out in, in our life 
Uh, according to Romans chapter 5 and verse 10, for while we were still his enemies, unconditional love, we're his enemies. We've all fallen short of who he created us to be. Uh, for while we were his enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, we'll be saved by his life. As his life gets into us, uh, we will be saved by his life, not just his death. All right? And so God unconditionally offers us his grace and his forgiveness, and he makes promises to us about the future, and it's all absolutely free. It's a gift. It's unconditional. It's unmerited. And I want to say to you, it is the best thing that can happen to a human being. We call it salvation. It's the best thing that can happen to you on your earthly journey is to inherit the salvation that God freely gives to us. However, everywhere in the Bible, Old and New Testament, everywhere, God calls us to more than salvation. He calls us to discipleship, right? The New Testament. In the Old Testament, God is like, you know, I'm going to give you this free gift and deliver you out of Egypt, and you're not going to be enslaved anymore, and I'm going to set you free. But then I'm going to transform you so that I can use you in the world for my kingdom purposes. In the New Testament, God offers us this salvation, unconditional freedom. But then goes on to call us to a thing called uh, discipleship. He calls us to become his friends. He calls us to become his sons and daughters. He calls us to a life in order to prepare us to be able to live in a place called heaven in order for God's generosity to continue, to progress, he looks for our cooperation. It's, great. it's the greatest thing that can ever happen to a person is to be saved and have God's salvation. But God calls us to more than that and wants to give us the riches of his grace. But in order for us to have the riches of his grace and to go forward with him and, and experience more of his generosity... There are conditions that have to be met. And so all over the Bible, we find uh, those kinds of uh, promises that are, we call them conditional. Because he's looking for our cooperation. God's love for us, you know, wants us to live and to experience what he created us for. And uh, he doesn't want to just meet our immediate need and leave us. He wants to take us to the fullness of his grace. And so he works until we become a whole new creation. And God knows that there are reasons for our problems, right? God knows there are reasons behind our problems. We all have problems, we all have needs, and there are reasons. And behind uh, our neediness, behind our poverty, there are reasons. If you, if you just think about the book of Proverbs, for example, Proverbs is loaded with advice on how life works. This is how life works. If you do this, this will happen in your life. Proverbs is a great book. If you do this, that I'm telling you not to do, you're going to have problems in your life. Proverbs is just, uh, it's loaded with uh, advice about how life works. And uh, when we ignore God's advice or when we uh, uh, resist his advice or rebel against his advice, well, we end up with problems. But not all problems are the result of our own bad choices. Let me suggest a couple of reasons for the problems that we have in the world and in people's lives. First of all, the Bible says that, you know, a major cause of problems in people's lives is oppression or injustice. It comes from people treating other people unfairly. 
That's what injustice is. And there's a lot of problems, a lot of issues that develop in people's lives over injustice. Just think about how often God talks about uh, justice. And so this guy in Jesus' story, who's beat up, who's ripped off, and who's half dead, right, is the victim of an injustice. Somebody treated him unfairly. Somebody beat him up. Somebody ripped him off and so forth. And um, there's so much of this in our world. And sometimes, you know, I think we're blind to it, uh, especially here in Fairfield County. Uh, But there are unfair treatments by governments. Think of what's going on in Syria today. And think of the government and the unfair treatment and and what's happening there today, creating the refugee crisis and, uh, for their own people and all the rest of it. Where do those people's problems come from? Well, uh, it comes from injustice, right? Uh, I think there are uh, systems that are corrupt, um, giving high interest loans to people who can't afford them by the banks. It is a system that created a lot of problems and took away a lot of people's property and left people in poverty. Uh, there are systems in place in the, in the courts, right, where uh, people with money are favored over people without means to hire the best lawyer. And it creates problems for people in their life. There are, there are systems, there are systems in the education system in our country where uh, certain groups of people are favored over other groups of people in terms of how the budget is spent in the school districts and and so on and so forth. And God is aware of all this. And how often does God speak to us about being agents of justice? You know that famous uh, verse in uh, Micah, chapter 6 and verse 8, reads like this. What does the Lord require of you? What does God want from us? What does the Lord require of you but to do justice? What does that mean? To do justice, social justice, right, is to uh, look out for our neighbor. And uh, to be alert to these kinds of things, to love kindness and to walk humbly with our God. You know, some of our problems come from other people, come from injustice. That's just a reality. Another reason for our problems and for our neediness, it seems to me, according to the Bible, is the issue of our own uh, sinfulness, our own uh, bad choices. And it results in uh, problems for us. And a lot of it is because, as I mentioned Uh, We resist or we ignore uh, the advice that God is trying to give us. And so uh, Proverbs, you know, I mentioned Proverbs. In Proverbs chapter 6, just listen to a couple of these verses. In verse 6, it says, you know what? Go to the ant, you sluggard, you lazy person. Go look at the ant. Go study the ant, right? And uh, consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief officer or ruler, without having anybody to tell her what to do, Uh, She prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. And how long are you just going to lie there, you sluggard? When will you rise up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Laziness. If we choose to be lazy and we choose not to work, what happens? You know, uh, poverty comes upon us. And then, uh, I, you know, we could go through, probably we could spend all day here in Proverbs, but Proverbs chapter 21, here's a couple of other uh, issues like that. You know, uh, whoever loves pleasure will be a poor man. 
If your whole thing is about the lazy river and you just want to float, you know, and drift and go with the flow, whoever loves pleasure and relax will be poor. He who loves wine and oil will not be rich. Look at this, verse uh, 21. Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life. They'll find righteousness and they'll find honor. You ever ask yourself, what are you pursuing in life? What do you want? What is it that, you're, what, what is it that you wake up and say, this is what I want to do today? Is it righteousness? Well, I want to do the right thing. And I want God to define what's right. That's what I want to do because that's where I'll find life, right? Or how about one more, verse 23. Whoever keeps his mouth and his tongue keeps himself out of trouble. Words matter. Well, one of the speakers at the Global Leadership Summit, I can't even remember who it was, but it was just like, words matter. What you say and what you don't say can lead to a lot of problems or it can lead to honor in people's lives. And so, same thing in the New Testament. There's all kinds of instruction about how to do life, you know, uh, how to be blessed, how to enjoy life, how to avoid problems. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, not the troublemakers. Uh, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, not those who hunger and thirst for easiness. Blessed are the people, God says, who, you know, are pursuing um, righteousness. Uh, Blessed are the merciful, not the vengeful. Blessed are the people who are seeking to bring mercy the way God has brought mercy to us. That's how to be blessed and how to avoid problems and so forth and allow God to deal with the vengeance, you know. And I'm simply saying that one of the problems, one of the reasons behind the problems we have is our own uh, refusal to listen or to uh, our, our tendency to ignore what God has to say. And we invite uh, problems into our life. But there's a third reason, too, I think, as to why it is that we encounter neighbors who have lots of problems or we become uh, problems afflict us. And... Um, I think you could just say natural disasters. There's big fires that burn down people's houses, and they become needy, and they have this huge problem, where am I going to live? And uh, how am I going to start over and and all of that? There's floods, there's uh, storms, there's droughts, there's illnesses, there's Zika viruses, there's injuries, accidents, there's diseases, there's the effect of, um, of sin on our world. Do you remember... Uh, the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, he uh, talks about this and, and uh, he reminds us, you know, and uh, oh, I'm on the wrong. Romans chapter 8 and verse 19. Uh, for the whole creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, and so on. The whole creation, you know, creates problems because of the effects of sin on our creation. And so we have neighbors with need all around us. There's injustice, there's willful rebellion, there's natural causes. Uh, I think, you know, we might say injustice is the mistreatment of people by other people. 
uh, natural causes, there are genetic things, there are nature you know, upheavals, and then there's willful rebellion, the bad choices that we make ourselves. And it, it, it leads some of us to say that some people are worthy of our generosity and other people are not worthy of our generosity. And we excuse ourselves from having the kind of compassion and generosity and love for our neighbor that God calls us to have. And we try to draw a line in the sand and we try to say, well, you know, maybe that person is deserving uh, of my generosity, but that other person, he's not deserving of my generosity. And you can draw that line all over the place. In this parable that Jesus tells us about the Good Samaritan, there were two Jewish people, you know, who drew the line and said, uh, for whatever reason, that person's not worthy of my generosity. Uh, I'm not going to be generous with my time, um, my talent, my treasure, uh, my touch, or uh, my truth. And so um, it leads us to draw that line. And I want to suggest to you that um, here's the thing, you know, liberal theology, uh, liberal ideology uh, tends to see all the problems as a result of oppression or injustice. Liberal ideology uh, in the political system tends to see all of our problems as a result of you know, other people mistreating us. Conservatives, on the other hand, tend to see all of the problems being the result of irresponsibility or our refusal to listen to God and to do what uh, God is calling us to do, our unresponsiveness uh, to God. And uh, the liberals don't want to place any, you know, conditions on generosity. We're just going to give. We're just going to print money. We're just going to borrow. We're just going to, you know. And the conservatives, on the other hand, want to place all kinds of conditions because conservatives tend to say, well, you're in this situation because of your own fault. And so I want to suggest to you this morning that when we... uh, the Part of the parable teaching is that when we live as a a God-first Christian, we realize that the truth is in the tension. That the truth is in the tension between these two ideologies. Um, And when you think about that, that generosity then starts unconditionally. But as it progresses, as love becomes more of a reality... We want more for people than just relief of the immediate need. We want to lead people to where God is. We want to lead people from wherever they're at to wherever God is. And uh, because of that, then some uh, conditions begin to take place. If you think about how God relates to us or how God helps us, you know, it really doesn't matter where we are, where we are when God starts. It really doesn't matter where we came from, how we got there. Uh, God's initial approach to us is full of generous grace and love. Uh, You know, the definition of grace is undeserved favor. And so when we're going to be generous with our time, talent, treasure, touch, truth, you know, uh, the same thing. It's got to be this kind of unconditional generosity. It starts out unconditionally. Uh, God's initial approach is full of grace Amazing grace, as we sang about it. Nobody is really worthy of God's help. All have sinned and fallen short, you know, and, and so forth. And God, God's generosity in Christ is unconditional. It comes to us. Salvation is full and free. Uh, it's there for the accepting of it, right? It's God's love that comes to us. No conditions. It's a gift. No strings. By grace, you've been saved through faith. It's the gift of God. It's unconditional and so on. And so... We, as God's, as God first people, you know, we live to give. 
We live to give. We are the recipients of that unconditional grace that we have then to give away um, and to be generous uh, with. But I want to suggest to you that our generosity doesn't stop with just meeting the immediate needs. It's easy to give a few bucks and to relieve somebody's need. When we were on vacation, we saw this news thing that, you know, some lady was in the food store and she was buying food and she was putting things back. And uh, somebody asked her, what are you doing? And and she said, well, you know, I have to pay my rent and I don't have enough to buy this food. And so somebody came along, gave her $30 and disappeared. And she was able to buy the food. And it was all over the news, like this was a really big deal. And she was trying to find the person who did it and and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, But the truth is, you know, when it's loving our neighbor and we become involved in other people's lives... Uh, It doesn't stop with just meeting the immediate need. And everywhere God calls us to this discipleship, he's not content to just leave us uh, with meeting our immediate need for salvation. And so uh, I want to suggest to you that the purpose of God is to move us from wherever we are to where he is. Right? Isn't that what he's doing? And uh, if you think about this, uh, that's really what discipleship is. He wants to change us into a God-first person and to... Uh, restore our whole soul. The purpose of God is to move us from wherever we're at to where he is and to uh, move us in our thinking so that we don't think like we think, but we think like God thinks. He wants to move us in our emotional life to have the joy and the peace and the, uh, the, the love, that, uh, the attitudes that uh, are characterized in the fruits of the Spirit and so on. He wants to move us from where we're at. He wants to change the way we make our decisions to follow the way he makes decisions. He wants to change the way we see things to the way he sees things. He wants to move us from wherever we're at. And ultimately, he wants to move us to a place where he is called heaven. To move us from this life into uh, a place called heaven. And so, let me uh, try to suggest to you that salvation is unconditional. But discipleship is conditional. If you will abide in my word, right? You will know the truth. And the truth will set you free. Oh, but I got to abide in his word. What does that mean? If I live there, if, I, if, you, if you allow God to continue speaking to you throughout the course of your life, you will find freedom. That's the promise God makes, but it's conditional. You've got to abide in his word and figure out what that means. And so salvation is unconditional, but a God-first life is conditional. Uh, salvation is Whosoever will can come. Whosoever will, whoever wants it, it's free. There are no conditions, no strings. It's the most wonderful gift that God can give a human being. Discipleship is, unless you die to yourself, you cannot be my disciple. Unless you are willing to let go of your old life and embrace my new life, you cannot. You cannot. It's conditional. You have to make a choice. You want to go on with God, it's going to cost you, right? If you think about it, salvation is absolutely free, but discipleship is costly. It's upstream. It's uphill. It's worthwhile. It'll be rewarded in heaven but it's upstream, and it's hard. Uh, Salvation is all of grace. It's totally a work. It's all on God. 
Becoming a God-first person is a work of faith. It's where the Bible in James says faith without works isn't the real McCoy. Becoming a God-first person is a work, a work of faith, right? Uh, Salvation, all you need is acceptance. Becoming a God-first person, you need to be intentional about responsibility. You need to be intentional about your response to this God who's come and given you this free gift. You need to value it and appreciate it and respond in ways that are acceptable to him. Can I tell you, salvation costs Jesus his life. Becoming a God-first person will cost us ours over the course of our lifetime. Unless you take up your cross and come follow me, you cannot be a God-first person. And so I want to say that generosity starts out unconditional. But if it's really motivated by love for that person, it will move to a conditional kind of response. Some people have kind of asked, you know, like, am I supposed to just be generous, just like give everything away? And then, no, you put conditions on helping to lead people to where God is, and those people will take themselves out of your graces. And you won't have to worry about making that decision. So just like with us, God's generosity starts unconditionally, but he looks for our cooperation, and part of that cooperation is that there are conditions that then uh, come. Uh, In order for God's generosity to proceed in our life, God looks for our cooperation or conditions uh, that show him that we want more of his grace and generosity. So our initial response to people's needs should be generous unconditionally. But our concern for our neighbor must be more than just meeting the immediate need. It needs to be love, and love wants more for people than just relieving their immediate need. Love wants what God wants, the complete uh, restoration of people's souls and wholeness and and the fullness of God's uh, spirit to take over. I often think it's kind of like a marriage. I've uh, presided over quite a few marriages, right? And uh, at first, we're making these promises, unconditional promises, some I encourage people to write their own vows, and some people write these absolutely beautiful, stunning vows of commitments with you know, no conditions. I am going to love you no matter what happens and, and all the rest of it. But once we get going in that relationship, that love has to get expressed. That unconditional commitment, if it's going to go further, if it's going to mean anything, if it's going to really take root, has to be expressed in ways that meet the needs of the other person. And that has to be understood, and that's a process, and that involves change, and and those needs change as life goes on, and so forth. And so Christianity is essentially a relationship with God. Now, I have to confess to you, uh, in this story of the Good Samaritan, I'm on board. I'm like all in until we get to verse 35. And and I have a problem. Uh, Every time I think about this story, uh, listen to this. The second part of verse 35 Uh, The guy says, the good Samaritan says, whatever else you spend, I'll repay it. It's a blank check. How many people in your life would you give a blank check to? Take everything I have. You have no, he has no, who knows what's going to happen. 
whatever you spend. Now, you're not going to just write a blank check to any old buddy, right? There's a, I try to think about this on vacation. There are a few people who I would give a blank check and say, you know, whatever I have is yours. I, I had a, a relative one time, and he was out of work for a few years, and, and uh, I said, well, look, you know, I have a, um, uh, what do they call it, home equity loan, 50000 or whatever. You know, you're not going to starve. You're free to use it. But how many people would you do that for? You don't just casually. There's got to be some conditions that are met, right? But isn't that what God does for us? As we begin to walk with him and so forth, he, he gives us this sort of blank check that I will take care of everything in your future for all of eternity. Trust me. Trust me. And uh, I, I think it's a all in. It's an unlimited kind of thing. And, um, you know, I, I realized something when I thought about this, though. You notice there's some conditions along the way before he gets to that point where he writes a blank check. And uh, he says to the guy, I imagine the conversation going something like this. All right, uh, here's what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to get in my car. You're going to climb on my donkey. Well, what if the guy says, you know what? I, I hurt too much. I don't want to climb on your donkey. I'm not doing it. Sorry. I'm not doing it. And I can hear the good Samaritan saying something like, you know what? Uh, I'm going to take you to an inn. And I'm going to leave you there. I've got other stuff i got to do. Well, I don't want to go to that inn. What do you mean you don't want to go there? No, I don't like that inn. And I can't afford that inn. And I got my pride, you know. Uh, just leave me here. You know? And, uh, you know, I can hear the good Samaritan say, uh, I'm going to leave and the innkeeper's going to take care of you now for a while. And I can hear the guy say, I don't like that guy. I don't trust that guy. I don't want him to take care of me. You know? And at that point, what happens if, if there's that resistance, if you won't meet those conditions? Well, then there's not going to be a blank check. And so all this to say, you know, our generosity has to start out unconditionally like God's for us. It really doesn't matter who it is. Anybody with a need is your neighbor. And everybody's got needs. And so we have this posture towards people that says, I'm compassionate. Everybody needs compassion. And if I have resources that can help you meet your need, that's what I should do. But as we become friends through that process, there will be conditions that begin because part of the, my loving you is going to be, I'm going to do my best to lead you to where God is because that's where I know you will find solutions, ultimate solutions to your problems. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful for this uh, story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, it convicts us in a lot of different ways, and uh, just uh, picking it apart and thinking through some of the implications. We're so glad that you come to us and love us unconditionally, but that you don't want to just meet our immediate need for salvation, but that you want to give us the fullness of your grace, and that you, your love is real. It's beyond just meeting that immediate need. And uh, I pray, Heavenly Father, that you would help us to be the same, and that we would see this, that first of all, we would respond to those conditional issues that you call us to, that we'd forget about ourselves and our old life, and we'd allow you to make us a new creation, that we'd, we'd want you to restore our souls and to make us whole and to change us, and that, you would, uh, that we'd want you to bring us to where you are so that we think like you think and we make decisions like you make decisions and we see 
issues the way you see and we feel the way you feel and we interpret the world the way you interpret it and we respond then in ways that you respond. And I hope, Father, that we would desire that and that we would see that you want to do that. But there are certain responses from us, certain levels of cooperation that uh, we need to listen to you and we need to uh, surrender to you and humble ourselves and walk with you and allow you to take over our lives so that we can be, in fact, those people. And so may this story of the Good Samaritan just remind us and may our generosity to other people start unconditionally. But may we realize, Father, that just meeting people's immediate needs is not all that you've called us to, but that we are all leaders in the sense that our job is to lead other people to you. And if there was ever a time in the history of our nation where people needed, Father, to be led back to you, it's now. And so help us to rise up. Help us to appreciate your generosity to us and your love for us and to use it, Father, in a way to transform us so that we can be like you in the culture you've placed us in. For Jesus' sake, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, we're going to ask our...